Tonight's reading will be from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 to 32. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members sorry, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. Um, it is good to be together, amen? Uh, so I'm going to pray that God will help us as we get into his word um, this evening, and particularly looking at what God has to say about how we use our words and how we relate to one another uh, and use our words to either destroy or build one another up. Uh, so let me pray uh, that God will help us uh, as we do so. Father, we thank you for this evening. Uh, we thank you for yet another opportunity uh, to look at your word, to be reminded of our belonging, and to be reminded that we live from that place. Uh, we live as Christians who belong to you, um, that you would empower us by your spirit to do the things that you call us to do, uh, particularly considering how we use words. Um, we pray that you would anoint the preaching of your word and that you just be with us uh, this evening. Through Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen. Um, words, words are such a powerful tool, aren't they? Uh, one of the things we've been, well, what we've been looking at, this specific uh, section of the Bible, and we've, we've been reading the same passage for, for the last uh, three weeks, and we're going to uh, end it off next week. And it deals with how to live the Christian life. Paul, firstly, tells us what it looks like to be drawn in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, uh, to belong to the family of God. And then he deals now with the question of, now that we belong, how should we live? Uh, last week, or the, the first week, we saw that the way we use our words matters. Uh, what we make of truth matters. And Paul was encouraging us to intentionally put away falsehood and embrace, uh, embrace uh, truth living. Uh, last week we saw that he moves from the mouth to our hands. What we do with our hands matter. And one of the things that we saw is that we live in a world of takers, and Paul encourages Christians to embody and to make giving a normal part of what it means to be a Christian. So now that you belong to God, it matters how you use your hands, how you use your, your speech. 
Uh, and tonight he goes back to how we uh, use our speech. And one of the key things that we see here is that how we use our words matters. Words matter. Words are powerful, aren't they? Uh, you would remember in uh, the mind engaged with um, particularly young people, uh, they would utter things like, I'll never forget what my mom said when she said, I'll never amount to anything. Uh, our culture says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never. Sorry? Hurt me. Um, is that true? <laughs> uh, I don't think it is true because words do have powerful uh, meaning to our lives. Uh, words uh, shape who we are, how we view ourselves, particularly if they come from people uh, who, are close, uh, who are close to, uh, to us. Uh, many of us would remember uh, the words that somebody said that were hurtful. Over the years, we carry those words. Words are, are powerful. Um, words have the ability, according to Paul, to both build up and uh, to destroy. So words can do that. Uh, if you watch the Netflix documentary uh, that's um, on how to become a dictator, uh, it looks at different dictators over the years. And one of the things that I found shocking is how these guys use oratory and the power of words to move a whole nation. Words are that powerful. Six million Jews destroyed uh, because one man used the power of speech and persuasion to gather our people uh, to destroy. So words are that powerful. Uh, we see in social media how words can destroy people's career through cancel culture. We all remember that guy uh, who was... Um, um, they took a video of him, um, and Twitter just canceled him. Twitter used words. People typed uh, all sorts of things about him to a point where man's career and his life was destroyed. Uh, so we can use words uh, to, uh, to do that. Um, very often on, in social media, words are just short, like things that we can say on the screen that we'll never say to somebody uh, in person. We use words to destroy uh, and not so much to, to build up. Uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about words when you read the Bible. Proverbs uh, has a lot to say about words. James also has a lot to say about uh, words. Uh, listen to a couple of these Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Uh, this is what the writer says. Uh, he says, There is one whose rash words are like sword, sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, so two different kind of pictures. Again, one that's building up, one, another one that's destroying. One that cuts like a sword, and I wonder if you know that person or you can picture that person uh, whose words are just piercing, that whenever they utter words, you just walk away feeling discouraged. I wonder if you're that person uh, where, who uses words uh, to almost stab at people's hearts, uh, that when they engage with you, all they ever hear uh, is... Um, is negative uh, stuff. Uh, but on the other side, it says, uh, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words are powerful enough to bring healing, healing to perhaps somebody who's uh, going through a tough time, perhaps a friend who needs encouragement. We can use our words uh, to, 
uh, to do so. Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 24 says, Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health uh, to the body. So when we wield and use words properly, they can bring about healing, they can bring about order uh, in this world. Uh, chapter 18 of Proverbs, verse 21, uh, this is one that you probably heard before. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of uh, the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Um, another translation says, words kill, words give life. They are either poison or fruit you choose. So in other words, you and I can use words for two different causes, to either build up or to destroy. Paul Tripp says this um, about the Proverbs, when he summarizes what um, the Proverbs are capture when it comes to words. He says the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is in, in many ways a treatise on talk, how we use speech. I'll summarize it this way. Words give life, words bring death. You choose. What does this, this mean? It means that you have never spoken a neutral word in your life. Have you ever thought of that? Uh, you've never spoken a, a neutral thought in your life. In other words, the way we use our speech actually matters. And I wonder if, uh, you, if you had to embrace that world of Proverbs that says um, the power of death and life are in the tongue. How would you intentionally use your words as you engage with other people? He says, continues to say that your words have direction to them. If your words are moving in the life direction, they will be words of encouragement, hope, love, peace, unity, instruction, wisdom, correction. I wonder if that's what marks your words, uh, that it brings love, peace, unity, uh, wisdom, and correction. But if your words are moving in a death direction, they will be words of anger, malice, slander, jealousy, gossip, division, contempt, racism, violence, judgment, and condemnation. Uh, if you watch South African social media, I think you'll see a lot of these, uh, these things. Uh, we'll see a lot of division, uh, we'll see a lot of jealousy and slander, uh, a lot of judgment and condemnation. Your words have direction to them. When you hear the word talk, you ought to hear something that is high and holy and significant uh, in the sight of God. So when you think about words, they're quite important uh, to God. They quite, it's quite important what we do with words. Uh, turn to James uh, chapter 3, because James also has a lot to say about the power of words. Uh, this is what James says. Uh, James chapter, chapter 3. From verse 3 to 5, and James uses a picture of a ship, he uses a picture of something grand. I don't know if you've ever seen those cruise ships. Um, and he says that just a small little thing is powerful enough to set the direction of the ship. And so it is with our lips, so it is with our tongue. Have a look at verse 3 of chapter 3. If we, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are 
so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Uh, consider this small thing, your tongue, it has the power to direct uh, your life and the life of others. I wonder if that's how you see uh, your speech. He goes on to say, how great a forest is set, how, a great, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Uh, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Uh, that is the power of the tongue, according to Proverbs and according to James. Now, Colossians also has a lot to say about, about the power of words. Colossians is one of Paul's letters uh, to a different church, and it echoes the same kind of things that Ephesians is echoing. It, it tells us to put away a certain way of life and embrace another way of life. Uh, Colossians says this to Christians, now that you've become a Christian, put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And then he calls them to something positive. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. This is the Christian way, as the Lord has forgiven you. Remember what we said, that in Paul's theology, very often he reminds us of what Jesus has done for us, and then he tells us that 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 what Jesus has done for us empowers us to live the Christian life. Uh, So in other words, we use words, uh, we use our posture towards one another uh, by reflecting on what God has done. Uh, We forgive one another. Uh, We forgive one another so that we will avoid all of those things uh, that we do with our words when bitterness becomes uh, the cause of um, our hearts. Uh, So use words correctly. Uh, It's quite clear in the scriptures. Uh, It is quite clear what... um, uh, what we are called to. And we're going to look at one Ephesians, and then we're going to have practical ways in which we can use words properly. Uh, so let's look at what Ephesians is calling us to. It's not so different from what Colossian uh, is saying. Verse 29 of chapter 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So that's, as we saw in the last three things that Paul is calling these Christians to, there's always a negative command, and then a positive one, and there's always a gospel motivation. So negative, positive, and a gospel motivation. On the negative, Paul says, do not let any corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Um, What does the word corrupting talk mean? Uh, Well, the word simply means... um, Something that is off, uh, so it could be rotten wood. In fact, if you read it in the NIV, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Uh, the word could mean, and it's used for something that is with, withered, something that is rotten, 
uh, something that is offish, like a fish that stayed too long outside. Have you ever tasted it? Where you bite into something and you're like, mm, there's something off here. Um, we went to a restaurant with a couple of friends uh, the other day. It's a new restaurant. I'm not going to spoil their business. <laughs> but they gave us chicken that was off. Um, it looked so beautiful when they placed it on the table. As we were eating, um, you could see the blood inside. And we smelled that there was something offish about this chicken. If you ingest that chicken, what, what happens to you? You're going to get sick. Um, there's no medium-rare chicken. <laughs> it, 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 is, it was off, and not only was it off, um, it, it wasn't uh, well-cooked. And Paul uses this word of, of um, corrupting. So that kind of speech that is offish, uh, that kind of speech that if you bite into it, it will give you death instead of life. He says the Christian life, if you've become a Christian, you ought to put away the kind of offish talk from your lips, and you ought to be intentional. And that's the key, isn't it? Intentionally choosing to use words uh, that are wholesome. Verse 31, another negative. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Uh, in our speech, sometimes we are filled with bitterness, aren't we? Bitterness, how does it come about? Uh, it comes about as we engage with one another. Remember, Paul is talking to Christians. Uh, the more you engage with people, the more you see disappointments. Uh, the more you see disappointments, you start building a perception about somebody, and you grow bitter. And Paul says, uh, take away those years of building resentment against your brother, against your sister, against your spouse, against that friend who said all of those things that he said. Take that away from you in your speech with them, in your engagement with them. Put away anger and wrath. Uh, put away clamor. Uh, clamor is I came to learn. Uh, I we went to uh, township school, so whenever you read such words, you think you understand what it means. But clamor just simply means a shouting match. Uh, and many of us grow up in environments where mommy and daddy during conflict uh, it becomes a shouting match, and we embrace that way of life that is handed down from, uh, from that way of life, uh, and then we use it in our relationship with one another. In our conflict, uh, our conflicts tend to become shouting matches. Uh, once we become Christian, Paul says, you ought to apply grace in your life in such a way that that kind of posture, that kind of way of speaking to one another does not become... Uh, part and puzzle of your relationships. Uh, I've had many couples who, particularly newly married, who are like, not you, Sean, <laughs> um, who are like, just yes, we fighting so much. And I never thought to myself that I'm a screamer, but we just found ourselves screaming at each other. Uh, and that's the kind of behavior that Paul says must not mark the life of a Christian. Um, on the positive, though, okay, the negative is corrupting talk that is offish. On the positive, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. 
Uh, so Paul says, if you are a Christian, you ought to be having the, this conscious mind that any interaction I come into, I must say words that are wholesome, that are there to build up the other person. I wonder if you ever thought uh, of that uh, for yourself. Do my words build up other people? Do my words encourage others? Or do they bring them down? Do I? Am I the kind of person that when people engage with me, they walk away encouraged? Or do they walk away discouraged? Because you just sharp with your tongue. You just feel like it's your duty to tell them where to get off. You just feel like it's your duty to remind them um, to remind them of the things that they are doing wrong. I think I found myself many a times, without realizing it, being that kind of person, where like, I felt like it is my duty <laughs> to tell people where to get off. I thought it was my duty to speak the truth, and quite often that truth came without love. And it is those who are close to us who bear the brunt of it, isn't it? Uh, those who are close to us bear the brunt of us um, of our speech, um, and then he goes on to say that it may give grace to those who hear. So let me pick it up uh, again. Okay, so we are not to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Mouth, verse twenty-nine, but only such as is good for building up. And the picture is that of building up a house. I wonder if your words build up people, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Um, what I found interesting here is that in the last week he said, what did he say? He said we must, the thief, the one who was stealing, must stop stealing, but must be giving. Okay, so stop taking, start giving. Why? So that you may be shared with those who are in need. Uh, so the way we thought of last week, we think of possessions, we must think of it in a manner of giving, right? We must give those who are in need. And we saw last week that there's a lot of people who are in need. What I found interesting is that when you read the original, the same word is used here of those who are in need. He says you must speak in such a way to build up those who are in need. So in other words, there are people who are in poverty, not a material poverty, but a poverty of lacking encouragement. It means that in your office space, in your household, there's only somebody who is lacking and who is in need of encouragement. Um, it means that you need to approach and you need to remember that <laughs> a lot of people that you engage with actually need more encouragement than uh, you telling them the truth that is not in love. Um, you ought to be encouraging people. Uh, we ought to be people who encourage uh, people because there is a lot of people who, there are a lot of people who need uh, encouragement. So the same thing with our hands, stop stealing, start giving for those who are in need. Stop corrupt talk, uh, be gracious uh, because there are those who are in need. Um, and then he goes on with the motivation. Have a look at verse 18. This is the motivation. This is the where the rubber hits the road, uh, how to be motivated to do what Paul calls us to do. And do not 
grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, your relationship with God is the very thing that's going to motivate you to do the things that Paul is calling you to. Your relationship with God matters. How you talk to other people matters. Uh, It can grieve the Holy Spirit that you are always discouraging people, that you are always talking behind their back. You know you can destroy somebody's character by building up a narrative behind their back. You can actually destroy somebody's life. And Paul is saying that that, if that happens in a Christian church, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Uh, That grieves the Holy Spirit uh, because the Holy Spirit is a person whom we have a relationship with uh, if you've become a Christian, whom we are sealed with. We have the Holy Spirit that seals us, that guarantees that one day our redemption will be realized. One day we will be with God for all of eternity. And if nothing encourages you to become an encouragement in your speech to others, this ought to do that for you. Uh, This ought to do that for you. Not only that, we ought to be kind with one another, forgiving one another. Why? Because of what we've nailed week in, week out. Because you belong. Because God has himself forgiven you. So the thing that empowers you to speak to somebody who you think is not deserving of good words, encouragement, uh, instead of putting them down, you remember that I myself was forgiven. So because Christ forgave me, I have the motivation to step into relationships and seek to be somebody who motivates others, uh, who speaks wholesome talk over others uh, instead of bringing death uh, to them. Uh, So there we have it. We have the negative, the positive, and the motivation. And the motivation is always the gospel. Uh, The gospel is the thing that motivates us to live uh, the Christian life. Uh, But how does that work itself out practically? How does the gospel work itself out practically? Um, Well, in the recent um, year or two, I've come across a guy. He's not a Christian. Uh, His name is John Hotman. He's a German. And he studies relationship behavior. Um, I wonder if you've come across his stuff. Uh, This is what he has to say about uh, relationships. Uh, He says he studied couples over years, so he primarily focuses on marriage, but I think this is true for any relationship. Uh, He, according to his research, he studied couples over years, and he could tell by their engagement with one another how this relationship was going to end, if it was going to end as a thriving relationship or as a... uh, uh, in divorce. So he, uh, he's done all this research and he came up with these four horsemen, these four things that destroy communication in a relationship. These four negative ways of using words and communication. Um, so these four horsemen that destroy relationships, uh, he says, number one is criticism. And we're going to explain what he means by that. Number two is contempt. Number three is defensiveness. And the fourth one is stonewalling. 
And we all go through these things. Uh, we all go through these uh, four horsemen when we engage with one another. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And when we behave this way and when we embrace this way of speaking to one another, we don't actually build each other up. Uh, we tear down um, each other, especially in, in marriage. Um, this is, I'm going to read for you uh, just on what criticism is, and I think it, this is so interesting. He says, criticizing your partner is different than offering a t- critique or voicing a complaint. The latter two are about specific issues, whereas the former is a personal attack. It is an attack on your partner at the core of their character. So criticism goes like this. Criticism is when somebody does something that we've spoken about this, and yet you're doing it again. Criticism will say, you never really think about people in your behavior, do you? Are those words building up, (laughs) or are they tearing you down? Well, if somebody says that to you, they've made a judgment call on who you are. You just don't think about other people. You are unloving in the way you engage with other people. Uh, So criticism is attacking the person instead of saying, I'm actually unhappy with you arriving late again because that's just inconsiderate to me and I feel uh, like you don't see and value my time. So do you notice the difference? That you can speak the truth, but how you speak the truth can actually build somebody up or just condemn them. You'll always be like that. Uh, You never think about other people. And very often in marriage, in relationships uh, like marriage, we do that. Uh, instead of building one another up, we, criti- we, um, not criticize. Yeah, we criticize each other. Instead of complaining and saying, this specific issue did this and this to me, uh, we label somebody unloving, inconsiderate. You'll never change. We've had this before. We've spoken about this before. And what does criticism do? It doesn't apply grace, does it? It doesn't apply the very gospel that we have received. Um, When you have tasted the gospel, you remember that you yourself are a sinner. That the things that you've committed to doing, very often you don't end up doing. That when people speak to you, you want them to tell you the truth. uh, But you don't want them to make a judgment to say, well, this is who you are. So that's the, the one thing. The other one is contempt. The second horseman is contempt. When we communicate in this state, we are truly mean. We treat others with disrespect, mock them with sarcasm, ridicule, call them names and mimic or use body language such as rolling eyes or scoffing. The target of contempt is made to feel despised and worthless. I wonder if you've ever been in that space. Of course, you guys will never do this. Where you just want to make somebody feel your wrath. Make somebody feel like they less than. Contempt goes far beyond criticism. While criticism attacks your partner's character, condemn attempts, assumes a position of moral superiority over them. Anytime you speak with moral superiority over somebody, you, you think you're better than them, uh, you feel um, you, you're going to treat them in disrespectful ways. In other words, that's going to affect the way you communicate with them. The other one is defensiveness. And defensiveness, we I think particularly men do this. 
because um, we're always on the firing line. <laughs> Defensiveness is saying, is not owning up. Uh, when somebody communicates to us, uh, we don't own up uh, to, uh, to our stuff. And defensiveness is, again, a killer of our relationship. The other one is stonewalling, and again, this is guys. Um, guys do this quite a lot. Uh, stonewalling is, if Paul says we use our tongue, um, do you know that you can speak and be unloving and destroy somebody without saying a word? And I think guys are very good at this. I still remember earlier on in my marriage, I think a couple of months into it, we would have arguments, heated arguments. And I think this is what happens, according to Hotman, that you have heated arguments. Apparently, it takes longer for guys to calm down after a heated argument because we just have testosterone. And any argument that we're going to feels like, like somebody's attacking you, uh, and our natural instinct is to defend ourselves. Our natural instinct is to watch out because there's danger. Um, and any time we step into uh, an exchange like that, uh, when we don't feel like we have our way, we stonewall. So what I would do is I'd be so angry and furious. Uh, and instead of using my words and communicating something that's building up the relationship, I'll just give her the silent treatment. Just shut down for three, four days. <laughs> and the thing is, when you, you look at me like that, I'm a sinner. Uh, the thing is, when you do that, it festers unhealthy things, doesn't it? It doesn't build up the relationship. Even if I'm not using words, I'm actually giving off uh, non-verbal communication that's actually destroying slowly the relationship. And when you get to that point, it is a slow slippery to indifference, and it is a killer and destroyer of relationship. And men in particular are prone to this kind of thing. And here's the thing, the gospel in all of those behaviors helps us, one, own up on behavior. It helps us, secondly, to treat others with, with less contempt, okay? Contempt comes when you look at somebody and all you can think of is negativity, What's the antidote to that? It is the gospel. What does the gospel do? It causes us to see other people through the lens of the cause, through the lens of forgiveness. Uh, see them as sinners that, um, that we are. It causes us to live lives of thanksgiving. And this is, again, something I've had to learn. The less thankful you are, the more negativity you'll see out there. If you look for negative stuff uh, to say about people, you will find it. The list is endless. It is very difficult to see goodness and the grace of God in other people's lives. But the more we step into belonging, the more we step into God's grace and the gospel for us, the more we'll be free to one, see people the way God sees them. And when we do that, we will be empowered to use words, use our communication to build them up instead of destroy them, uh, to seek unity instead of division, uh, to seek goodness uh, instead of harm. Uh, may God help us as we step out into this week and see and use our words uh, as a tool to build others up instead of destroying them. Amen. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Uh, we are so thankful for the gospel. 
that it is the key motivation for us living the Christian life. Uh, Father, whether it's uh, giving and taking, uh, whether it is the way we mask ourselves up to appear uh, more holy than we actually are and uh, we use lies, um, whatever it is, Lord, we remember that it is your gospel that encourages us. It is your gospel that motivates us to live the Christian life. Uh, so I thank you for this call that Paul gives to us um, to use words uh, to build others up, uh, to use our communication as a tool for unity instead of a tool for division. I pray that you'd give us a wisdom uh, and the power to own up to certain things uh, so that we don't react with anger and defensiveness. I pray, Lord, that as we look at others, we would not have this uh, build up this concept of them, uh, of them just being sinners who will never amount to anything. I pray that you will approach and apply the same grace that was given to us and to others. Lord Jesus, we thank you for tonight, and we do pray that you step, we will step into this week seeking to encourage others who are in need and seeking to use our words to build them up. Uh, through Christ our Lord we ask. Amen.